This is the Northwestern Medicine Pod Talk. Here's Melanie Cole. Every year, nearly 5 million Americans learn they have heart valve disease. Awareness and early detection can save lives, so knowing the symptoms of the disease is important. My guest today is Dr. Micah Eimer. He's a cardiologist at Northwestern Medicine. Dr. Eimer, welcome to the show. Give us a little physiology lesson. What do heart valves actually do? Great question. I I find that frequently patients will come into the office having very limited understanding of what the problem even is. Um, And that's when I break out the paper and pencil, and, and that's when some of the best learning goes on. Our valves are there to make sure that the heart is a one-way pump. Um, At its most basic level, the job of the heart is to circulate blood around the body. And if you think about it, without valves, the blood would come into the heart, the heart would squeeze, and the blood would go right back to where it came from. So pretty much all animals, um, all the way down to fish and reptiles, have some sort of valve uh, that allows the blood to come in. Uh, then the valves open or close, and when the heart squeezes, the blood only goes one way, which is out again. Um, so I think that's why we have valves. Um, and as I said, they're found throughout the uh, the animal kingdom. Ours are the best, of course, but uh, you can find them in many places. So then what is heart valve disease? And explain a little bit about how a tissue valve can fail. So the valves, you know, in the healthy state, uh, if you were to look at a valve, uh, it said that you could almost read a newspaper through them. They're very, very, very thin, um, very pliable, uh, soft. And for example, when we look at them on ultrasound, they're very fine and they sort of wave with the blood flow, which is amazing because your heart beats some five bazillion times um, and these valves have to maintain their, their structural integrity. When a valve doesn't work, Um, there's basically two things that can go wrong. Either it doesn't open all the way to let the blood in or out, and that's called stenosis, S-T-E-N-O-S-I-S, and that means a narrowing, or the valve doesn't close properly and the blood leaks backwards um, from where it should be going, and that's called uh, regurgitation. Um, And those are basically the two ways that, that valves can go wrong. Now, the one other situation is the valves, of course, are attached to the heart. And if there's something wrong with the heart, such that the valves are not seated properly, um, even though the valve itself is totally normal, it may malfunction. And, and the best analogy I use for that with the patients is if you think of, you know, those um, in the old Western movies, those saloon doors that sort of swing if you think about the valve as those the saloon doors, if you take the door frame and stretch it apart, the doors may be normal themselves, but if they're not touching each other, then they can't possibly work correctly. So it's it's both about the valve itself and also the apparatus that, that holds the valve in place. What an excellent visual. That's a perfect explanation, doctor. So who is at risk for these kinds of disorders? Well, it's it very much depends on which valve we're talking about and what the underlying pathology is. So, for example, some people can be born with abnormal valves that are either too narrow or too tight. Um, Some people can be born with a valve that's not right, that doesn't actually become a problem until they're adults. So bicuspid aortic valve being the classic example of that. 
other people can get damage to their valves uh, in adulthood from, let's say, an infection of the valve or radiation to the valve. Um, other people can develop things like rheumatic heart disease, which can affect the valve. So, um, and then there's the, a whole group of people that the valves just frankly wear out, for lack of a better word. Um, they've just beaten 50 bazillion times and they sort of get calcified and they can crack and they can become stiff. And, and so there, there's a wide range of, of, of different things that can go awry with your valve. Well, the big question would be then, how would you know? How, what are some of the symptoms that might show up with somebody that would send them to a cardiologist and say, maybe there's something going on with your valves? So we get, we get referred patients by a couple of different mechanisms. Um, Sometimes uh, a primary physician or another physician will hear a murmur. So a murmur is the sound that turbulent blood makes when it goes through an abnormal valve. So let's say you have a valve that's narrowed, say aortic stenosis. All your blood has to be pumped through a tiny little hole, and that makes a lot of noise, and that's what a murmur is. And so a, re a referring physician might hear a murmur and say, hmm, I suspect there's a valve problem here and refer the patient to a cardiologist. Other things that would bring the patients in themselves, obviously the patients can't hear their own murmurs, um, but what might bring them in is uh, shortness of breath, I have to say. Shortness of breath is the most common complaint that I hear from patients that have a valve disorder. And that holds true for whether the valve is leaky, whether the valve is too tight. Um, shortness of breath is a pretty common final pathway that, that patients will experience when they have significant valve disease. Then how do you diagnose it? So the best way is with ultrasound. So uh, we have a test called an echocardiogram, which is basically just an ultrasound, the same, the same ultrasound that, that the uh, obstetricians use to look at a baby, um, except this time we look at the heart and we get very, very nice pictures of all, the, all four valves uh, opening and closing. And we can interrogate them uh, to find out if they're opening normally, if they're leaky, or, or what the specific problem is. We can also get a sense of how severe it is. So not every valve leakage or every valve narrowing requires us to do anything. In fact, the vast majority are don't. We just note the, the abnormality, but we don't necessarily have to do anything. Um, but the, the, the test to get to the right diagnosis and to figure out what to do next is an echocardiogram. And that's so interesting for patients to hear that sometimes you don't even have to do treatment. It's just a watchful waiting sort of situation. What would be the first line of defense if you did have to do some sort of treatment? Well, unfortunately, valve problems are mechanical problems, which means that they require a mechanical solution. So sometimes we can adjust, uh, let's say, the fluid levels in a patient or the blood pressure or the heart rate or rhythm using medication that might um, sort of improve the symptoms a little bit, but it doesn't get to fixing the problem, which is the valve itself. So in the, in the rare case, and I say rare because probably 95% of the valve issues that are out there don't require any specific treatment, um, but the ones that do, it, it's an issue of either repairing the valve, so um, taking the abnormal valve and the surgeon will, um, I call them tailors, they, they will tailor the valve 
um, so that it works normally again, uh, or replace the valve with either a bioprosthetic um, valve or a metallic valve. And these days we use a lot more bioprosthetic. What are some non-surgical things that patients that have you've determined have valve disease or regurgitation or leakage, what can they be doing as far as lifestyle behaviors? Do they have any limitations? Yeah, the limitations sort of depend on which valve um, has the problem and how severe it is. Um, but, you know, by and large, I wouldn't say there are any specific restrictions. Um, as far as lifestyle goes, patients that have valve disease do not handle fluids properly. So anything that increases their fluid level, such as sodium, um, will cause problems. So patients with valve disease um, definitely want to be on a low-sodium diet. They also want to be on a low-fluid intake situation where they're not drinking excessively. So wrap it up for us, because what an interesting topic, and so you're so well-spoken about it. It's so understandable. What do you want patients to know about assessing their risk for valve disease and being aware of the symptoms should they need to go in and see somebody? Well, I think what I'd like to tell people is the most helpful thing that you can do for yourself and for us as doctors is to stay active physically, because if you're physically active, if you're doing a reasonable amount of exercise and you feel good, chances are you are good. Everything's fine. There's nothing wrong with your valves. There's nothing wrong with your heart. On the other hand, if you are exercising and you notice that you're inordinately short of breath or you have some chest discomfort, that's going to prompt you to get this evaluated. Patients who do not exercise, it's very hard for us to tell or to, for them to tell uh, that there's something wrong. So. If there's one thing I could tell patients to stay active, keep exercising, and be on the lookout for shortness of breath specifically, but anything that doesn't seem right would be a reason to come in and check with your doctor. Tell us about your team at Northwestern Medicine and what you love about working there. Um, the best part about working here is that we have expertise at all levels of care. So as I mentioned, um, we have excellent primary care doctors who can listen for murmurs. They can talk to the patients, uh, develop a suspicion about a heart condition or a valve condition specifically, and then they can refer the patient to people like myself, the general cardiologist. And within Northwestern, we have a great team of, of general cardiologists. We have a great team of imaging uh, people that can take great pictures of the heart, ultrasound, that sort of thing, as I mentioned, um, and try to figure out what the problem is. As I said, the vast majority of these people with valve disease don't require anything more than close follow-up. But when they need more than that, when they need something a mechanical solution for their valve disease, we are fortunate to have some of the best uh, valve surgeons in the world on staff at Northwestern. We also have a very accomplished um, interventional cardiology team that has been able to do some amazing work with valve replacement. Uh, without surgery, so through um, through uh, procedures similar to angioplasty. And that's been a real game changer for me and, and for my patients who need uh, valve work done. 
Thank you, Dr. Eimer, so much for joining us today and sharing your expertise on heart valves and what they are and how we would even know if something is going on. Thank you again for joining us. You're listening to Northwestern Medicine Pod Talk. For more information on the latest advances in cardiovascular medicine, please visit nm.org slash podcasts. That's nm.org slash podcasts. This is Melanie Cole. Thanks so much for listening.